Welcome to the podcast, Low Code Talks with Creatio. I'm your host, Andy Zambito, Chief Sales Officer Americas at Creatio. And today, Eric Hale, Head of Sales Enablement at Creatio, along with Melissa Jerkoic, Chief Customer Experience Officer at Adaptation, will be discussing how to align people and technologies to better drive end user experience. So Eric, please introduce our guest to the audience. And I'm pleased to announce uh, Melissa Jerkoic, Melissa has uh, over 20 years in the tech industry, everything ranging from everything from a, a software engineer to her current role as chief customer experience officer at Adaptation. So uh, welcome, Melissa. Thanks, Eric. Uh, really uh, happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. And, um, you know, Melissa and I were, uh, were talking uh, prior to the uh, the live uh, session here, you spend a lot of uh, a lot of time and, and passion trying to uh, have a positive impact on uh, the decline of um, you know women in STEM education and uh, careers. Uh, so just a tremendous effort working around the globe with different organizations. So uh, I applaud you for that. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. It's definitely All a right. passion of mine for sure, for obvious reasons. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll turn the floor over to you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eric. Well, welcome everybody. Really excited to be here. Um, Again, I'm the Chief Customer Experience Officer Adaptation, which is a small startup here in the state of New Hampshire. Um, But I also co-founded, to Eric's point, an initiative and a a bit of a startup on its own right uh, called Diversified Thinking to really promote and elevate the amount of action around diversity and in tech specifically um, to meet the level of conversation. So I've spent a lot of time with a lot of conversations around that. And and actually, this talk is somewhat intertwined with that because I believe diversity in your users and diversity in, in, um, in general creates an amazing experience. So, so we'll touch on that a little bit around like what your customers look like and things like that. But I'm here to talk to you about uh, how the people matter as much as the technology and maybe not, maybe even more. Um, so I might, might challenge the bit that, you know, we're all super jazzed about low code these days. Like it is definitely the buzzword and there's lots of metrics to prove that I think it's like by 2025, you know, the majority of development will be done by citizen developers using low code platforms, right? It's like amazing. And I think it's great. But I, what I want to caution and basically bring to the table today is don't forget about those people that are using the things that you're building, right? And so that's where we want to focus today. Um, so that being said, um, we're really excited about technology, and we want to be able to show the amazing things that we do. But this is a hard truth that we all need to accept. Um, and it's that as technologists, again, like Eric mentioned, I've been in the space of tech um, for over 20 years, um, and I have been a builder, I've been a designer, I've been a product manager, I've been a solution architect, um, and and most recently working with customer experience kind of across all those disciplines, um, really focused on the end user and our customers. But I'm here to tell you that the shiny object that gets us so excited as technologists um, and what lights us up if your users don't also feel with the warm and fuzzies around it, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think it's a hard truth and it, you know, it's, it's a hard, tough pill to swallow as, as technologists because we're so proud of the things that when we code and we get it all debugged and we're like, this is amazing. And now enabling and empowering a, a whole global community of citizen developers with low code wow, the opportunities are endless and how much faster are we going to be able to accelerate technology going to market it's also terrifying um, because that's so much faster that we can be doing things that our users aren't embracing. So I want to give you some tips today to think about who these people, um, as we 
I mean, I'd love to see a show of hands. I can't do that, obviously, in this in this instance. But if we were all in the room together, I'd say, how many people have been part of a digital transformation project or any kind of technology implementation? And I'm sure many of you have somehow tangentially been involved either in a sponsorship role or a direct implementer role um, that are attending this talk today. And you may raise your hand. Then I'd say, how many of those projects failed? And you may kind of half raise your hand because you don't know to admit it, but like, don't be shy, right? Like we've all been there. I trust me, I have too. 20 plus years, you see some failures along the way. Um, and honestly, the majority of those failures are not because we didn't have buy-in from the people that were the decision makers writing the checks, right? So executive buy-in, super critical for any sort of technology project. Because why? Because even if you want to embark on a low-code platform, someone's going to be able to give you the, the budget in order to do that. Um, so as a citizen development team, you still have to be able to support it with technology. Who's going to pay for that technology? That's your executive buy-in. But what I want to, to bring to life for you right now is that equally as important and critical for the success of your insert project name here is end user buy-in. These people, they're really important to your success because of this hard truth that I'm showing you right now. So this may seem familiar to you. These are the people that you may have not got buy-in some of those failures that you've experienced in your past. Um, and it's because our, our users, they hang on to things for as long as, as they, they can because it helps them do their jobs. And it doesn't matter sometimes, even when it's painful, they'll still do it because they know it. And, and we are as creatures of habit, love things that feel familiar, even when they hurt. So that's a, that's an interesting fact about human psychology is that even if there's a better way, it's still different. And sometimes we don't like that. So, um, which as technologists, we love difference. We're like, oh, this is so cool. I'll just throw out the other thing I did and do this whole thing all over again. But the end users that are using it to do their day-to-day -day work, they don't feel the same about that. And so these are some of the feedback that we've seen in the past that you will get from people, right? And this does result in failure. So, you know, we may feel like we've successfully implemented a change um, of any sort, but if they haven't adopted it, then it doesn't, that's not true success. So successful implementation does not equal successful adoption. So there's two sides of the coin there. So we really have to maintain both those perspectives to really get true success in the nature of technology, leveraging low code or any code, really, like it doesn't, that part doesn't necessarily matter. So really focusing on these users and remembering that anytime that you're doing something with technology, you are displacing something else. So this could be, by the way, that someone had a manual process where they just had pen to paper and you implemented this amazing thing on the low code platform that automated what they were doing. They used to do it with pen to paper, but that's still a transformation. You're still taking something they've done that's habitual and displacing it. And when you do that, you disrupt their world. And this is the kind of feedback that you might get. Um, someone recently asked me, Melissa, do you think that the work that we're doing right now will become obsolete? in 2025? And I sat and thought, well, what an interesting question, right? Um, what, what does it even mean for it to become obsolete? Well, that means that people don't care about it anymore, right? They just, it's old news. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, and I thought, I, no, because of these people right here, because these, that's only in four years. And I know that there's people like these users that are using technology from 10 years ago. So your end users won't let you 
let go of sometimes your technology. Uh, you know, there's many stories, I'm sure some some can nod if I was to see them in the audience today, of those projects or those solutions that you put out to market that you'd love to sunset, those what we call legacy fondly. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we have a hard time sunsetting those products, which means we end up having to support back many versions, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you've all experienced this. These are the people, these are the reason why, <laughs> because we have people that are successfully have adopted it, but they don't want to let it go. So these people matter. Hopefully I've got that point really drilled into your head now. So what if I told you there was a way to think about this architecturally and in a pattern where you could keep things sort of at the core where they matter, but also develop experiences that can scale around this to be able to meet your users where they are and deliver an experience that feels native and organic to them and not disrupt them so much that they don't adopt what you're trying to deliver. And so I want to tell you, and actually low code is so perfect for this, right? So, and really it's around building out what we call sort of spokes around your hub. And so think of your hub as the centralized portion of where the information sort of the, what I say, like the heart of the business. This could be one very large monolithic CRM system. We've seen this a lot. That's why I use that as an example. Um, and, and those are amazing because they're so flexible. But guess what happens with sometimes ultimate flexibility? It can get a little bit out of control. So who gets impacted by that? Again, the end users, right? And so what we've seen that's worked really well is to think of that compartmentalize um, the technology into like, okay, keep everything at its core in the hub, but build these spokes, these external experiences that tie into the hub. So you've got the data right where it needs to be and you're not moving that. Like we're not going to create these crazy integrations where data is being shipped through many different protocols. And now we have to deal with all sorts of data regulations. I won't even get there. That is not the purpose of this talk. Where what we want to do is actually create a technology that becomes an extension of the human experience. And that's really what this model is at its core. It's let the technology not be an obstacle. Let it be an extension of who these people are and what they're trying to do. And that's the principle of hub and spoke architecture. So how do we do this? Like you, you're all bought in. You're like, I get it, Melissa, end user buy-in, way important. Like almost as important, if not as critical as ex executive buy-in, if I want to see successful adoption. I see that there's a, an architectural model and mindset that I can adopt. But now like rubber meets the road. What am I supposed to do? How do I do this? How do I even start? So it's probably not surprising that I'm going to tell you the first thing you need to do is know who your users are. That's super important. Um, it's probably step one before you ever put pen to paper, ask for executive buy-in, adopt any sort of low-code platform or otherwise um, back-end tool to be able to develop anything. Know who your users are. And how, how we like to do that is um, through a set of principles that I'm showing you right now. And one is identifying the job to be done because what's the most important part of what the user is trying to do? They're trying to achieve an outcome. What is that outcome? Because if you don't know that destination, you're sure as heck not going to be able to build a path for them to get there. So first step on this journey is understanding who your users are and what they're trying to do. You know, what, what are the, what is their successful outcome? And don't let your users tell you how they're like, how to do it because they love to do that. Users love to tell you how to build things. And that's, that's great. We love to collaborate. You'll see this with number two, but they shouldn't solution. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of loving the problem is what I usually say. Like, let's stay inquisitive and curious in the space of the problem longer. We jump to solution too fast. And when we do that, what happens is and on the onset, it feels really perfect and everyone loves it. But in practice, you lose adoption. Um, 
you get the attrition of users because you didn't think through the problem enough. So you sort of got like this really pretty facade on the front, but then when you dug behind the layers and you actually started to use it in practice, it starts to fall apart. Um, so love the problem, stay in that space of curiosity with your users and understand what it is they're trying to achieve, like truly achieve. Like what's the most important things to them? That's the job they're trying to accomplish. And then collaborate with them. So again, like work with them. I call this inclusive design, um, especially in the space of where I'm looking at diversity and inclusion. And part of that is because I like to say, build with your users, not for your users. So I'm not over here in a dark corner and I'm like, you just, I'm the technologist, I'm over here, or I'm the citizen developer on my low code platform. I know best. Don't you worry. Something's going to come out the other side of this. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. And, and just sort of, you know, regurgitate what's coming out on the other side with technology. Um, I, I believe it's more of a collaborative process. You need to really work with them, deliver things incrementally, you know, so we're all a big fan of agile these days, right? Like get something in front of your users fast, because if it's wrong, they're going to tell you. And if you wait too long, my theory is it's always wrong. Like when someone says something about a product, I'm like, well, who's using the product? Well, no one yet. We haven't gone to market. I'm like, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> like, and that's a hard truth too. People are like, what do you mean? It's not wrong. I'm like, it's wrong. If no one's using it, it's already wrong because no one's told you that it's not wrong. So, I mean, it, it's, it's over here in a dark corner. So building with people, not for them is really important. And part of a principle around like the hub is keeping the data where it lives because data is important to your business. So I'd love to tell you that we build amazing user experiences because it's just a lot of fun and people love to just type into a screen or, you know, click on buttons all day, but that's just not the truth, right? The reason why people are doing this is to input data and be able to get, um, you know, anal analytics and insights from that data. And so maintaining the integrity around that data is always crucial. And so it's something you always have to keep top of mind in these principles when you're working through them. So you know who your users are, you know what their outcomes are, and you're working with them to be inclusive. Make sure you know where they are. Meet them where they are, especially in the state of a pandemic where everybody was working from different places. They may be working on a mobile device. They may be working on their desktop. They may be doing all sorts of things while they're working and being super distracted. Understand all of that because it matters. It matters what the user experience that you design for them to make sure they're having that optimal experience. And finally, get their feedback. Like, the great thing about this is if you're listening to your users and you make it easy for them to give you your, give them your feedback, both during the process and beyond, then you've already got their buy-in. And remember, end user buy-in, super critical, if not as important as executive buy-in. And what does it all mean? So I just showed you how to do this and the steps that we take here, but what's sort of the, the lucrative or ROI I'm doing all of this. And there certainly is. Um, it's, so it definitely takes investment. I'm not going to lie, but there are, there is a return on that investment. So reducing training costs. Why? Because your users were part of the design. So they don't necessarily need this backend training as much as they would have otherwise. Um, you're accelerating user adoption again, because you got their buy-in during the process. Optimizing team workflows. This is one of my favorite sort of surprises that happens because you, your team, the team, the users, the end users won't necessarily tell you what's not working because they just do it. They just sort of begrudgingly do it and, and then uh, take over and work around things, but their workarounds aren't optimal, but they don't tell you about those because they don't realize they're painful. So you just sort of discover pain and find ways that you could automate things that aren't otherwise automated or not automate things that were automated, but wrong. Um, and then obviously increasing user retention, right? So I mentioned if your adoption is great at the beginning, but then you don't keep them, 
that's still not successful adoption, right? Because you want them to stay with you. So this is a little bit about me. If you want to take a snapshot of this and reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to you about all sorts of things, low code, user experience, um, diversity. That's a favorite topic of mine um, and inclusion. And then, of course, I want to leave you with, please remember, successful Im implementation, even though we think technology is super cool and we get really excited about it, um, does not equal successful adoption. So you got to remember your end users. Got it. Got it. Phenomenal. Melissa, I had one interesting question it stated that my employees resist new technology adoption. Mm -hmm. Any tips on increasing the adoption rates? Yeah, I mean, hopefully I did give you some tips, but I would say yeah. like, I think it's definitely bringing them in early and getting their feedback. So I think um, interesting thing about us as users and just humans in general, um, if they give feedback, but they don't feel like they were listened to, that resistance can come into play almost um, despite you, I would say. It's almost like yeah. with our children, I have three boys. So I, <laughs> this feels very familiar, right? Like sometimes you just have to have the listening so that when you respond back and acknowledge that you've heard it and really provide substantial feedback around why maybe you can't do what they're asking or understand what they're trying to do and provide them a better path. So part of that's training, but part of it's also like getting them involved, like in the beginning, like really um, upfront and listening. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, lo I love this approach. And I think that it's the, uh, it's the only way to be successful. Yeah, you have absolutely. to, you have to have that, uh, that collaboration. So absolutely. Melissa, thank you very much again. Yeah, thank uh, wonderful you. presentation. Uh, glad to see another uh, New Hampshireite yeah. uh, on the, uh, on the call. And hopefully you'll, uh, you'll join us again for uh, another session sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you so right. much. Melissa, Eric, thank you so much for this insightful discussion. To get more information about our products and services, please visit our website, creatio.com. And for more insight, check our digital event page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Talk soon.